Welcome to episode 161 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, we went on our first mushroom hunt and lived to tell the tale. Today we'll share the treasures we found in the forest and what we learned. Then our trip guide, Leah, will share her story of how she entered the world of mushrooms. And we have some great audio from the mushroom identification session at the end of our hunt. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Hey, guess what, Heather? Before we jump into the mushroom hunting episode, December 16th, 2014, that was the first episode of the First 40 Miles podcast. Oh my goodness, these things take me by surprise sometimes. We're coming up on our three-year anniversary. Oh my goodness. So anyway, congratulations. Thanks. (laughs) Mushroom hunting has been on our family's bucket list for a long time. We first kind of discovered the world of mushrooms when we moved to Oregon about four years ago. And one of our goals when we first moved here was to take a hike every single month. Just get out and explore our new state. And I think it was the very first hike that we went on after making that goal that we were just blown away by the incredible amount of mushrooms that were in the forest. Dozens, if not hundreds of different varieties. We were astonished. That first day hike was out in the Oregon coast range, and we hiked maybe a couple miles, and every few feet, it seemed like, we saw some mushroom that we hadn't seen before. And we had the camera with us, and the kids borrowed the camera, and they tried to take pictures of every different type of mushroom. And we came home with our camera just full of mushroom pictures, just from that one hike, just a couple miles. But we had no idea that any of those mushrooms were edible. In fact, I think we assumed that 95% of them were probably poisonous, and maybe there were one or two in there that might be edible, but we had no clue which ones those would be. Right, and we had no idea how to distinguish mushrooms or identify them. And even still, after our experience with Leah and the Oregon Mycological Society, we realized that there is a lot, a lot that we don't know about mushrooms. but. This week, we were able to break through that initial barrier to mushroom hunting. We connected with the Oregon Mycological Society, and they put together events. They have classes. I assume they have potlucks. Good idea. Where you bring your mushroom... Mushroom soup. ...dish. (laughs) Casseroles. Exactly. But um, yeah, there's some training that they do. And the trip that we went on with them was a mushroom identification trip or hunt where people who were in the intermediate class of mushroom identification went out specifically to look for mushrooms that they had a hard time identifying. So they were out looking for unique mushrooms. And this trip almost didn't happen. The morning of the trip, all of a sudden, our fourth grader comes down and says, I'm not feeling well today. And we're thinking, no, not today. You're supposed to go to school today. (laughs) So we can go on our mushroom hunt. So our fourth grader went with us on this cold, rainy day. We bundled him up, stuck him in the car and said, well, 
you get to go mushroom hunting today. <laughs> I love it when the kids are sick, but not too sick. So you can still play games, have fun. And this was the perfect mushroom hunting level of sickness. It was just perfect. I'm so glad he came with us. So we followed the directions that Leah from the Oregon Mycological Society gave us for this spot where they were going to gather out in the Oregon coast range to hunt for mushrooms. Only the thing is, uh, I took the wrong highway. I took Highway 6 when I should have taken Highway 26. And Highway 6 just so happens to have a turnout along the highway that is just like what Leah described in her directions. So we stopped at this turnout at Highway 6 and waited for 45 minutes, an hour, I think, and nobody showed up. Well, eventually we figured out our mistake, uh, partially thanks to a voicemail that we got from Leah while we were out of cell signal. But once we got back into cell range, we picked up her voicemail. We put a few pieces together and realized we were on the wrong highway. We headed up to Highway 26 to a turnout where several cars were parked and we knew we had found it. However, we couldn't see any people anywhere near the parking lot. And as we took the trail that she described that went west from the parking lot, it just got thinner and thinner and thinner. And we thought, hmm, really? Are they really out here? So we went back to the parking lot just to see if there were any other trails that we had missed, and we came up empty. So we're thinking, well, I don't know. There's cars here. We probably found the spot where they're at. But in these thick woods, how are we ever going to stumble across them? So as we were standing there in the drizzly rain in the parking lot, kind of trying to figure out, okay, do we go back into the forest and really like go deeper and try and find them? Or do we try and meet up with them another time, cancel the trip? Just as we were about to get in our car and drive home, this tall mushroom hunter <laughs> named Paul emerged from the forest with his mushroom hunting basket, his dog, and his water bottle. So we quickly asked him, where are the mushroom hunters? And he said, well, I'm going to grab my lunch and I'll take you right to them. They're out by a pile of tires, which made no sense. But once we got there, it made sense. So we followed him back into the forest, the route that we took, except he took a right into some bushes, like straight into the thick part of the forest. And we dipped down and came back up. And there were all the mushroom hunters scattered around like little mushrooms <laughs> all over, kind of bent over. It was really cute. They were all just looking for a rare mushroom, whatever mushroom that uh, caught their eye, I guess. We never would have found the group without Paul. And along the way, we found our very first chanterelle mushrooms. That's right. Yeah, we were walking along and he said, look down. Do you see that? And we all looked down and by a fallen log kind of nestled by some fallen leaves, he pointed out this mushroom. And he said, where you find one, you'll usually find a few others. And sure enough, as we looked around, oh, there's another one. Oh, there's a couple more over there a couple feet away. And we got this little collection of chanterelle mushrooms on our way to the actual, you know, site where we were going to mushroom hunt. One of the things that we quickly learned about mushroom hunters is that they are so excited to share what they know. And this was a great moment for us because we were so excited to learn as much as we could in the time that we were out there. So Paul shared with us 
the three things that you need to know to correctly identify a chanterelle, which is also the Cantharellus formosus. It is the Oregon state mushroom. Oh, I didn't know that. And once you know these three things, it prevents you from those uh, tricky, what is it, false positives or, you know, ones that look like a chanterelle, but they're not really and they could make you sick. So these three things will help you correctly identify the Cantharellus formosus. The first thing is that they have false gills. So if you look on the underside of a grocery store mushroom, those have the, the really paper-thin individual gills. The chanterelle has things that look like gills, but they're not separate and they kind of connect and weave together. So we call them false gills. The next characteristic of a chanterelle is that it has decurrent gills. That means that its false gills <laughs> don't tuck up underneath the mushroom. They actually kind of slide down the side of the mushroom. Looks like they're kind of... Uh, Blending into the stipe. Right. And we learned what a stipe is. That's the stem. Yeah, so you don't call it a stem of a mushroom. <laughs> it's the stipe. Then... The third thing is that the stipe has kind of a string cheese texture. Like you can kind of peel it apart and it really does look just like string cheese. It's not a hollow stem. If it has a hollow stem, that's a completely different mushroom. It's not a chanterelle. It could be related somehow, but you're looking for something that peels apart like string cheese. And these attributes were really helpful to know. Because when we found other mushrooms that had hollow stems, we knew for sure they were not chanterelles. When we found other mushrooms that had stems that break like a piece of chalk, we knew that they were not chanterelles. And when we found mushrooms that had real gills, like the ones you see in the grocery store, they're not chanterelles either. And we could look at how the gills attached to the stipe or stem. Um, if they were detached or if they ran straight into it, they're not chanterelles. But if they ran down into the stem in kind of a merging kind of way or blending way, yeah, if we had all three of those attributes, then it's a chanterelle. And the cool thing about chanterelles is that they are very distinct. And there's only a couple mushrooms that would be considered a false chanterelle. But with these three attributes, you can definitely identify the false chanterelles versus the real chanterelles. Right, and we also learned that chanterelles grow in a symbiotic relationship with the Douglas fir root system. The mycium of the chanterelle lives underground with the Douglas fir root system. And so if you see a mushroom that is growing on wood, it's not a chanterelle. And if you see a mushroom that's not growing near a Douglas fir tree, it's probably not a chanterelle. So we were really excited because before we had even gotten to the quote-unquote site for mushroom hunting, we had already picked our first chanterelles. And we were confident, just from that one little lesson with Paul, that we could identify chanterelles and tell them apart from mushrooms that might look a little bit like chanterelles. Yeah, and having that confidence didn't make us more confident in other areas of mushrooming, but it gave us the confidence that we needed to feel successful and to continue to pursue mushroom hunting and learn about the other different fungi that's in the forest. 
So for today's top five list, we wanted to share the top five things that we learned about mushroom hunting. And we really hope that this inspires you to maybe try a little bit of mushroom hunting or identification on your next backpacking trip. The number one thing is to go with someone who knows mushrooms. Being able to ask like a billion beginner questions was so helpful. That was just what we needed. And it it gave us that little boost of confidence. We really weren't confident just taking books with us, mushroom hunting, and just identifying (laughs) mushrooms from what we saw in the books. I know we could do all the book learning. We could read about all the features. We could read about false gills and true gills, decurrent gills, attached and detached gills. We could read about different types, And we still just didn't feel confident at all in trying to identify mushrooms on our own with no one to verify and to actually bring those home and eat them. This right. wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Well, Joyce from the Oregon Mycological Society said that often new mushroom hunters will look at a mushroom and say, oh, well, this has six out of the seven identification points of such and such a mushroom. And they ignore that last point, which in mushroom hunting can lead to misidentification. I mean, some people want so badly to be able to identify a mushroom that they'll completely ignore something obvious just to say, oh, it's, it's edible. I'm going to, I'm going to use this. But even within a species, you can have edible and inedible mushrooms. So just because they're related doesn't mean they play well in your stomach. So going with someone who knows mushrooms and can correctly identify them can help you decide whether you should kick it or pick it. And you can look up mycological society for the area where you live, and you'll probably find one. Okay, there's a couple just famous mushroom books. And one of them is All That the Rain Promises and More by David Aurora. And one of the pictures in his book is out in a desert. And you can see these cracks in the crust of the earth. And the caption is something along the lines that we found mushrooms wow. under the earth in that crack there. I know it's very dry in the desert, so I'm sure that the mushroom blooms are rare and uh, infrequent. Arizona listeners, let us know if you find mushrooms, especially the edible kind. It'd be cool to hear about it. For sure. The number two thing we learned about mushroom hunting is don't get lost or shot. When you're staring down at the ground looking for that elusive mushroom, it's so easy to get disoriented. The group that we were with was tucked back into the woods off the trail, so it would have been so easy to get lost. However, the trip guide, Leah, was very wise. The area that we were hunting in was maybe about a quarter mile from the main road, which we could all hear. I mean, there were logging trucks going up and down it the whole time. And she also picked an area that had an odd but helpful central defining feature, and that was that it had a bunch of abandoned tires. So that was a really great visual when all the trees start looking the same, just to have that big central visual landmark. So for backpackers, it might be your tent, or you can set up a hammock, just something really bright and obvious so you can have an anchor. And we were mushroom hunting in the state forest during hunting season, you know, 
animal hunting kind of season. <laughs> so a lot of people were wearing orange. That was helpful. You want to stand out that time of year. Uh, also, the group used whistles to keep in touch with each other. So you give a short whistle, and that lets everyone know how far away you are, what direction you are. The number three thing that we learned about mushroom hunting is there is a sliding scale from desirable to deadly. So if you ask a mushroom hunter, is this one edible? You may not get a straight answer. Uh, we heard lots of times, yes, it's edible, but it's not very good. And even that, one of the ones that we picked, it was the Rusula zerampalina. So I guess the, it's the shrimp rusula? Shrimp rusula, yeah. We heard from several people, yeah, it's not very good. But we brought it home and we cooked it up. Smelled like shrimp. Yeah, and is... especially after a couple days on the counter, it smelled like... <laughs> <laughs> the shrimp smell gets stronger, yeah. Right. Or another thing that people might say is, yes, it's edible, but many people experience stomach aches and diarrhea. Yeah, like Joyce, who is allergic to chanterelles. It's yeah. a wonderful mushroom, tastes great, uh, definitely an edible, but she's allergic to them. Yeah. So I guess if you're out specifically looking for edible mushrooms, one of the rules is to only eat mushrooms that you can 100% identify. None of this six out of seven, oh, it looks like it could be edible. It, it looks like a grocery store mushroom. Only eat what you can 100% identify. And even after that, only eat it after you've identified it a second time at home. And stay away from LBMs. LBMs. <laughs> yeah, little brown mushrooms. And you find a bunch of little brown mushrooms all over the forest floor, many of which are poisonous or at least inedible. Yeah, but they look just like the little grocery store mushrooms. So I think they trick a lot of people. Yeah, people look at them and think, well, it looks just like what I bought in the store, just a little bit brown with a white stem. That's got to be the same thing. And it's not at all. And that's I mean, that's one of the, the tricky things with mushrooms is you can't just go by looks like, oh, it looks like a mushroom that I bought in the store. Therefore, it's good. No, even within the same species, like you said, one might be desirable to eat. And another one that looks very similar to it with just a slightly different set of features is poisonous. And everything in between. Yeah, there are lots of things that mushrooms can do to your system. So definitely get a positive identification before you consume it. But, you know, really, the thing I think that surprised me was my perspective changed. I I used to think that virtually all mushrooms were poisonous and deadly, and then there were just a few that were edible and desirable. And now after going out with the Oregon Mycological Society, I've realized that, like you said, it's this wide range from deadly to desirable and everything in between. And that it's, it's not a huge proportion of mushrooms that are deadly. In fact, there are many that are bad for you and they're poisonous, but not deadly poisonous. If you eat a few, you're going to get really sick, but not die. And then the ones that just don't taste good are in there as well. And that there's that broad range. And, and when you go out in the forest, you're going to find mushrooms all across that range. We also learned that touching a mushroom is not bad for you. So it's not until you ingest it that it could have uh, poisonous effects. And if you're kind of nervous, one of the things that you can do at home is to set aside an identical mushroom to the one that you're eating. So you have one to 
kind of, I guess, how do I say this? Take to the hospital with you. (laughs) Yes. Just in case you have a bad reaction. And then when you go to the clinic or hospital, you can say, well, I ate a mushroom that looks exactly like this. And then Mm -hmm. someone can identify it positively. Probably not at the hospital. They'll probably call up (laughs) the Oregon Mycological Society. (laughs) Yep. Well, the number four thing that we learned about mushroom hunting, and this one is a little bit controversial, but it's true. Mushrooms can't be over-harvested. They are the fruit of the mycelium that lives underground. So in the same way that an apple tree can't be over-harvested, of course, you want to be careful not to waste. So that's a way of, I guess, over-harvesting if you're just going to kick it or not not appreciate the mushroom. Um, but with mushrooms, yeah, it's it's the fruit of the underground organism. And they've done some research that has uh, demonstrated that the fruit of the mushroom is not really the way that the mushroom spreads. It certainly can spread that way, but it's just the mycelium growing underground. So they've done studies where they've taken two plots of ground that have mushrooms growing, and in one plot they harvest all of the fruit, and in the other plot they don't. And then over many, many years, they look at the health of that mushroom organism. It's not a plant, by the way. And the health of the mushroom organism is the same in both places. One place they picked all the fruit, one place they didn't, and it had no impact on the overall health of the mushroom. One of the things that Leah pointed out is that you can over-trample a forest, so recognize that when you go mushroom hunting, you still need to leave no trace. Walk gently, walk lightly, and enjoy mushroom hunting. And I guess one more thing about harvesting mushrooms. Before you go, check the limits of what you can take out of the forest. So where we live, we have a one-gallon limit on public land, but I guess in Washington, they have more like a five-gallon limit. And of course, those numbers could change any time, I'm sure. It's government regulations. And the number five thing we learned about mushroom hunting is stay humble. Just because you can identify one mushroom in your region doesn't mean that you can identify look-like mushrooms in your own region or in other regions. So I guess check yourself before you wreck yourself and do a second identification when you get home, if you can, and re-identify the mushroom before you even think about eating it. And start by eating a mushroom in small quantities. So if it's your first time picking chanterelles, then have one or two chanterelles with your dinner. And next time, maybe you'll have a, a bigger serving. But this gives you an opportunity to make sure that you identified a mushroom correctly. And even if you identified it correctly, that you personally are not allergic to that mushroom. And staying humble encourages you to ask questions. And asking questions means that you're going to be connecting with people. And all of the mushroom people that we've met so far are incredibly helpful. They want to answer questions and they want to help you have a good experience. So definitely this last tip, I think, is the one that will preserve you (laughs) and keep you mushroom hunting for a long time. Well, when we went out on our trip with the Oregon Mycological Society, we were blown away by the depth of knowledge that Leah, the group leader, had. So we asked her how she got started, and this is what she said. So um, I've always been interested in going out to forage things in general. I think it's super weird that when we grow up and we have this education system, we don't learn what to eat. 
it seems like a pretty basic human need and that's not something that we learn. So I've always been interested in foraging things. Um, my parents are biologists and they would teach me back in Wisconsin things that we could eat there, but they don't know very much about mushrooms. Uh, and I went out hiking with a friend um, looking for chanterelles. He'd actually been at it for a while and been like telling me, we have to go out, we have to do this, you'll love it. And I was like, I don't know, I can... I can buy mushrooms at the grocery store, but I didn't realize it's not just about eating the mushrooms. It's about the whole experience of finding them and learning the landscape and learning how to do it. And I went out that day and it was a good chanterelle year and I was so stoked. Once you see that like beautiful golden color and you find your first one, uh, I was so hooked. I just wanted to find one after another and I had like a grocery bag full of these things at the end of the day and I... I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to do with these things, but I just want to keep doing this. I want to do this all the time. And I asked my friend that day, because we saw a lot of other mushrooms, what's all this other stuff that's out here? Like, what's this one? And what's this one? And here's the person that I knew that knew the most about mushrooms. And he basically just knew this one mushroom. And so then I got home and I started asking around to other friends. And I have like pretty like nature-y, outdoorsy friends. And... None of them really knew anything about it. I knew one guy who knew a little bit about magic mushrooms, uh, but that was about it. And so I was like, well, how hard can this be? Why does nobody know about this? And so I was like, if I could just learn like three or four mushrooms, that would be more than anybody else that I know knows. So I set out to learn at least like three or four. Uh, and then I learned that it wasn't actually that hard once you like broke down the process of ID and, um, I kind of memorized the first book that I found, All That the Rain Promises and More by David Aurora, which I highly recommend. It's charming and awesome. And then I realized that there was a bunch of mushrooms that were not in that book. And so I was still running across things in the woods that weren't in there. And I'm like, well, crap, I have to get another book that has more mushrooms in it. And then I learned that the taxonomy is changing all the time and that the, the, the names are always changing as we get new DNA evidence and find that things are not related that we thought were just because they look like each other. So I had to get more books that had more current taxonomy. And now I have shelves and shelves full of books. <laughs> Um, and somewhere along that process, maybe a year or two in, I learned that mycological societies were a thing. And I was like, wow, I wonder if there's one of those in my area. And so I googled Portland Mycological Society. And as it turns out, there is one based right in Portland. And so I went to the first meeting there and I brought my... Uh, I brought a mushroom that I found on the side of the road and I got it identified and I was like, wow, these people can help me with this process. Um, and then I took the beginner and intermediate identification courses for OMS, the Oregon Mycological Society. Um, and I now help to teach those and I have been using Facebook and Instagram and any sort of online platform that I possibly can to talk with as many people as possible and gather information from people who love to do this around the world. People get super addicted to it and they're, they're really into it. Well, it's so fun when you realize so many things around you are edible. Like that's a real draw for us. We're like, wow, you can eat this and it grows for free. <laughs> It's really cool. And nobody else knows about it, so it's all yeah. you if you want to go <laughs> go and get it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. This has been very informative and just really inspiring. Yeah. Thanks for coming out with a bunch of strangers into the middle of the woods. <laughs> yeah, we were just following yeah. this dude into the woods. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a really good group of people.
for sure. Yeah. Mushroom people are the best. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any kind of mushroom pun that you want to leave with us? <laughs> okay. Nothing okay. about fun, guys. Okay. Um, <laughs> that one's overplayed. Slightly. <laughs> just, just don't, just don't no. do that one. Okay. Please, no more mushroom puns. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the advice. Okay. <laughs> Well, after a few hours of kind of roaming around the forest looking for mushrooms, we all gathered together and everyone put their special mushroom in the middle, the one that they wanted identified. And Leah not only identified the ones that were hard to identify, but she helped other people work through the anatomy of mushrooms and helped them to figure out what the mushrooms were. So we have some audio from that mushroom hunting identification session. Um, so who found this one? Oh, we got that one. You found this one. Okay, does anyone know this one? Genus? Romeria. At least Romeria. the genus, yes. Romeria, yeah. yeah, the genus is Romeria. So Romeria are coral mushrooms. The vast majority of the coral mushrooms you can eat, but it's really hard to tell them apart from each other, and some of them will give you diarrhea. Uh, <laughs> so... Chances are it's going to be just fine if you eat them. There are some general rules to follow about it. If you cut them in half, like I'm doing here, and you find that there is gelatinous stuff in the base, don't eat that because it might be gelatinous going through you. If it has dark staining on it in any place, which I don't see here, uh, you don't want to eat those. So those are general rules. Um, you can try eating them beyond that. I'm not going to guarantee you're not going to get diarrhea, but for most people, most of them are fine. <laughs> if you want to experiment with Romeria, the corals, eat them in the spring. All the ones that come up in the spring in the Pacific Northwest are edible. They're not all tasty, but you can eat them. There's way, way fewer species that come up in the spring. Okay, pass this one around and smell it. Mmm, smell something, but I don't know. All right, Dylan, we smelled this one before. Do you remember what it was? Uh, tricholoma. It's tricholoma. Yeah, and you said it smelled like something specific. What was it? Um, <laughs> it smelled like a specific bathroom in Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> it smells kind of like, like mothballs with urine. Mothballs. Yeah, mothballs and urine. That's yep. a great, uh, great description. It's a flashback this to a good a time. This is a super stinky mushroom. Uh, this one is called Tricholoma anamoanum. I have no idea what all uh, that means, but it probably means something about it being stinky. I thought it smelled good. <laughs> really? It smelled floral. Now, after it gets handled a little bit, it gets a Yeah, it smells like um, a freshly sprayed bathroom. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's a floral like smell. Okay, so smell it like right here and inhale deeply. <laughs> I don't think it smells bad. Really? Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I'm curious to get a... Like that's weird. Oh, interesting. You could think of it as more of a perfume, yeah. <laughs> I would never I would wear never this. I would never wear it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, this does seem like rotten urine-ish <laughs> smell to me. Um, but wow, if you think rotten urine-ish smell smells perfumey, that's awesome. You're going to be a happy camper in life. <laughs> and we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Wendell Berry. He said... Nothing that dies is dead for very long. 
I thought that was the perfect mushroom quote. <laughs> Here mushrooms are growing up out of soil that's filled with all this decaying matter and things are growing. It's really beautiful. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Check out our new cookbook, Trail Grazing, on Amazon or iTunes. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles. When were we married? No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> ha ha ha. <laughs> I really am just kidding. <laughs> I know. Fallen log, fallen leaves. Uh, it is that time of year. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's called fall. Oh, everything's falling. Temperatures falling, trees are falling. <laughs>